Uh, my name is Gad Hume, and I'm one of the organizers of the seminar. And it's a great personal pleasure to welcome uh, Dylan Burden to, to the seminar. Uh, as some of you know, Dylan received his PhD at this very Institute of the Americas. And I think it's testament, testament to what you can do with a PhD that he is now the Belizean ambassador <laughs> to the Institute. Uh, of course, he had a long career in a variety of NGOs in Belize and elsewhere. So actually, I can think of very few people who are more qualified to talk about uh, this topic uh, than Dylan. And uh, we will follow the usual pattern, and Dylan will give his presentation in 40 or 45 minutes, and then there will be plenty of time for questions, and we hope you will join us for the afterwards. So, Dylan? Thanks, Gad. And um, it, it sounds like an advertisement for join UCLIA and become an ambassador. <laughs> but... Um, no, I, in, in all seriousness, thanks to uh, UCLIA and in particular to Steve and, and Gad and the team for the Caribbean uh, seminar series to invite me today. Uh, it was not too long indeed that I was uh, in this building for many hours uh, working on my, my PhD thesis and it's, it's indeed good to be back and to see uh, so many uh, faces that I, I know and also a few faces of people who know more about this topic than I do. <laughs> Um, one of the things I think I, I, I miss uh, in my couple of years in diplomacy uh, most about academia is the, the critical independent discourse that happens most of the time. Uh, you can imagine that in the world of diplomacy it's a more careful world. And, um, but I will aim for open discourse today. Uh, as much as is possible without uh, getting a call from my foreign minister in the morning uh, and uh, attempt not to be too uh, censored in, in, in my statements. Um, but why, why talk about Caribbean-EU relations? Um, my two years in Brussels for me confirmed the hunch I had that the Caribbean's modern relationship with the European Union is little known and, and perhaps too understudied, given its uh, existing and potential significance for the political trade, development cooperation, and uh, other interests of the Caribbean. As I hope to illustrate uh, this evening, uh, this topic is especially timely as challenges in both the Caribbean and the EU create uncertainties for their long-standing partnership. I aim to look at four basic questions or elements of four basic questions tonight in a very logical way, so my, my presentation will follow this flow more or less. Uh, how important, first of all, are Caribbean-EU relations for the Caribbean today? Secondly, uh, what have been and perhaps are the major challenges to this relationship? And uh, thirdly, what are the key considerations emerging in the EU on this relationship? And most importantly, perhaps, how is the Caribbean reacting and what are its options? Well, let me start with a, a bit of background as a way of introduction. And uh, I think that I do not need to introduce the term uh, EU, given the Brexit debate happening, I, at least I hope I, I don't have to. Um, but the term Caribbean, 
the term Caribbean can mean different things for us, and depending on what context we use it in. And uh, I will limit tonight uh, my Caribbean, in terms of how I define it, to the member states that make up the regional grouping known as CARIFORUM. Uh, CARIFORUM is short for the Caribbean Forum of the African Pacific and uh, Group. African Caribbean and Pacific Group, that is, the ACP. And um, although there was a Caribbean group within the ACP uh, even before it was formed in 1975, uh, CARIFORUM was formally established in the early 1990s with two basic goals, that is to, one, uh, have a better coordination within the ACP uh, in especially uh, relations with uh, the EU in trade and development and political cooperation, but also importantly, and one that is a bit forgotten, uh, to promote integration and cooperation within the region itself. As such, then, CARIFORUM is the voice of the Caribbean in the ACP, and most Caribbean-EU relations transpire through CARIFORUM. In terms of members, uh, it contains all of CARIFORUM, uh, all of CARICOM, I should say, the Caribbean community, except for Montserrat, which is a non-independent uh, territory, uh, plus the Dominican Republic and Cuba. So it makes up a total of six. Uh, I will not read these out. Uh, you can see them there. Um, the slide uh, shows the names of them. But you will notice from looking at it that um, these are all independent states, and they span uh, four major language groups across the wider Caribbean, uh, east, west, uh, north, and some continental states, including Belize and Guyana and Suriname. What I'm excluding tonight um, are the overseas uh, countries and territories of Europe and uh, the so-called DAMs, which are the overseas departments associated with the EU, for example, France, um, which are a, a different kettle of fish. And um, it is not that they are unimportant in their relationship with the EU, but one needs to focus. Um, importantly, whereas CARIFORUM's uh, population is now around 37.3 million, that of CARICOM, the group that is actually tasked with being the regional integration group of the Caribbean, is 16.5 million. And that, of course, has to do with the fact that the DR, Dominican Republic and Cuba, happen to be uh, a part of CARIFORUM, but not of CARICOM. Something I will come back to as far as uh, the, some of the problems of integration in, in the region. Uh, a word on the ACP, the African, Caribbean, and Pacific Group. Uh, the ACP was uh, established in 1975 in Guyana. Um, the Georgian Agreement uh, was the, the key agreement that uh, was part of its formation. Um, there were 46 states, and all these states were former colonies of a European state. And today it comprises some 79 countries across three continents with a total population of almost 1 billion uh, people, um, 48 from Africa, uh, 15 from the Pacific, and 16 from the Caribbean in terms of uh, countries. And 
although it, the, the Georgetown Agreement envisioned the ACP as both an independent intergovernmental organization with its own identity based upon solidarity and unity, uh, as well as the main forum for the group's relations with the EU, it is the relationship with the EU that has almost totally dominated the ACP's reason for existence, and by extension, CARIFORUM's reasons for existence. Uh, a major historical uh, point that I want to make, or an important one, is that for the Commonwealth Caribbean states, the former colonies of the UK, a deciding factor in the decision to join the ACP in 1975 and after uh, was the action taken by the United Kingdom in 1973 to accede to the European Economic Community. As such, the two major objectives of, Cari of Caribbean states in joining the ACP were one, to safeguard its preferential access of exports, mainly sugar, bananas, and rum at the time, uh, to the UK, now as part of the EU, and secondly, to ensure that other benefits such as development cooperation were maintained in this new forum. And I will return to this issue uh, a bit later when I briefly, and I must say carefully, discuss the possible Brexit. Um, I will also be referring to something called the Cotonou Agreement quite a bit. It is short for the ACP-EU Cotonou Partnership Agreement, which was signed in 2000 in uh, Benin. Uh, it is the largest, it is the latest, I should say, and the current version of the five agreements signed between the states of the ACP and the EU since 1975. And like the preceding or, uh, agreements, and you might know the Lomé 1 to 4 uh, uh, better than the Cotonou, but like these preceding agreements, it lays out the rules for the specific, uh, for the special political trade and development relationships between the ACP and the EU. Uh, importantly, it expires in 2020, and the questions of whether or not there will be a new agreement, what form it might take, are central to the uncertainties that hang over the future of Caribbean-EU relations. Um, I, I will only state for information that the European Development Fund is a key mechanism through which EU aid uh, which comes from its 28 member states, um, is transferred to the ACP and by extension to the Caribbean, both bilaterally and regionally, and indeed in, in, in a, what is called the intra-ACP level. Uh, there is something called the Joint Caribbean-EU Partnership Strategy, which uh, was signed in 2012 between the EU and CARIFORUM, and this is basically a political document that lays out areas of common interest, but it does not in any way uh, displace Cotonou. Uh, let me now turn quickly to the first question. Um, how significant are Caribbean-EU relations, in particular, for the Caribbean? Uh, it is important to acknowledge that the Caribbean-EU partnership is not one of equal partners, though, of course, to the colonial and current development disparities and the lopsided power relations that exist. By extension, as with the wider ACP, Caribbean-EU relations can be conceptually described in terms of a special relationship built partly upon uh, what one might call historical 
colonial guilt by some in the EU, and on the other hand, expectations of special and compensatory treatment by some in the Caribbean. But having said that, let's, let's take a, a quick look at some of the Caribbean's current uh, relations with the EU. And in the key areas of development, cooperation, trade, and political solidarity, which are, in a, in a sense, the pillars of Cotonou and the agreements between uh, the EU and the countries that are in the ACP, including the Caribbean. Development uh, cooperation on the EU, uh, for almost all the states of the Caribbean, remains the most important and the largest of all sources of development cooperations funds, and, and this includes uh, the United States, which is uh, much closer, as you know, to the, the Caribbean than the, than the EU. Uh, through various funds, and especially the EDF, which I mentioned before, CARIFORUM states have had access to a steady stream of EU grants at the national level, at the regional level, and at the intra-ACP program level since 1975. Uh, official uh, development assistance, that is ODA, through all these sources uh, for the entire ACP, expanded from some three billion in 1975 when Cotonou was formed to over 34 billion today. And uh, of course, because of the expansion of the number of states, the, the amount of money is, uh, is uh, allocated to more states. And so uh, that has to be considered. Taking a look uh, specifically at the Caribbean and recent numbers, um, at the national level, Total EU grants to the Caribbean uh, Cariforum states, in this case, under the EDF, uh, amounted to some 835 million between 2008 and 2013, and uh, some 655 million for this current period from 2014 to 2020, as you can see, a decrease. And, and this decrease has a lot to do with the fact that uh, at the national level, countries that were graduated, which is a term that is um, one that we'll come back to, from lower income status to middle income status uh, got less. However, this was compensated at the regional level, uh, meaning funds for regional projects that all states in the Caribbean benefit from uh, did increase from 165 million to, 100 and, uh, to 345 million over the same period. In short, uh, EU development assistance to carry forum states delivered at the national and the regional levels directly uh, will be around some 2 billion uh, between the 2008 and the 2020 period. EU funding for intra-ACP programs uh, which also benefit Caribbean states, now stands at 3.6 billion. Uh, and this is for uh, the current period, and it's up from 2.7 billion in the previous period. And of course, there's also been separate uh, grant funding for uh, softening the impact of erosion from preferential access of agricultural uh, exports, for example, sugar and bananas. And, and, and this is also a significant amount uh, for the Caribbean uh, over one billion over some period of time. 
And on top of these funds, and, and uh, I will not get into these directly, but there are also some EU states that still give bilateral aid outside of the EU directly to uh, some uh, Caribbean states. Of course, this is not the full story. I mean, the, the point I'm trying to make here is, is, is that at the area, in, in, in the context of development aid, the EU is still very important. But it is not the full story because, of course, as we all know, there are financial outflows from uh, the Caribbean region to the EU that are significant. Uh, illegal flows, uh, profits. Uh, EU companies uh, that uh, have contracts uh, to deliver on the fund that you give to the Caribbean uh, get a good amount of the uh, funds that actually go to the Caribbean under the EDF. Um, so to be sure that there's more than just uh, historical guilt at play on the side of the EU and it, it does accrue benefits and we can get more into that. However, because uh, EU aid is delivered to the Caribbean under the Cotonou Agreement, it stands out for being predictable and programmed for jointly agreed areas over a set period of time. And generally, it's oriented to, towards development, uh, health, rural development, energy, education, etc. And this is in contrast to, for example, more recently, uh, especially uh, aid to the Caribbean coming from the US, which is mostly uh, targeted, for example, at security. Um, moving to the, to the area of trade, uh, next to the United States, the EU is still, and this is since uh, 1975, the Caribbean's second largest trading partner. Uh, Venezuela, China, uh, Brazil make up the rest of the top five uh, in 2014. On average, some, some 10 to 13 percent, a significant amount of carry forums, trade in goods, has gone to the EU over the past 10 years or so. And even as there has been erosion in trade in some states due to trade liberalization moves, uh, it remains important. And, and, and this is uh, mostly in the areas of bananas and sugar, where some especially smaller Caribbean states um, have had their agricultural industry is totally wiped out because of these preferential measures. Size, of course, matters um, in that imports from the Cariforum area to the EU represents only some 0.3% of total EU imports. But as you can see, it is still important for the Caribbean in terms of scale. In terms of value, uh, as the table shows there, um, EU imports from the Caribbean in 2014 valued some 4.5 billion, mostly bananas, sugar, rum, rice, fuel products, uh, and some minerals and fertilizers. And EU exports to the Caribbean uh, was 5.7 bil uh, billion, and this is uh, mostly in uh, equipment, uh, vehicles, telecommunication equipment, spirits, chemicals, and uh, other manufactured goods. Uh, I, I should say to you that the commodities that are exported by the Caribbean to the EU market um, are not only foreign exchange earners, but are also important to the economies, to the communities, and the livelihoods in the region. On, on the issue of trade in, in, in services, which is, of course, very important to the Caribbean in that um, services, especially tourism, 
uh, are very important for many Caribbean states and, and make up uh, uh, a huge proportion of uh, their GDP. Um, there's, there's less data to show, but also less success generally that is being reflected in terms of uh, trade with the EU. And so there's still much potential there. But overall, the, the assessment has been, has been quite poor in terms of trade and services. Uh, in tourism, um, some 5.2 million uh, of uh, the arrivals in the um, EU uh, come from Europe, and about 20% of that come from the, the UK. So it's so important nevertheless. Um, there's also been a poor assessment of the CARIFORUM EU relationship in terms of uh, increasing foreign direct investment as well as in the promotion of private sector development in, in the Caribbean. Um, and finally, for this question, looking at the area of political solidarity, uh, due in part to the colonial past, um, the Caribbean shares many similar values and priorities with the EU. And this is uh, common, this common basis allows for the two regions to work together at the multilateral level, uh, the global level, and issues such as climate change, uh, the examples in the areas of uh, arms control, and even sometimes human rights. And the Caribbean has uh, proven to be a, an effective and consistent ally in some international fora uh, with the EU. And, and this has a lot to do with the fact that CARIFORUM has 16 votes. Uh, it has influence in the ACP uh, with another 79 states, as well as influence in, in other regional bodies, such as uh, the community of Latin American and uh, Caribbean states, CELAC, which has 33 members. And uh, there are quite a few examples of, uh, of how this political solidarity has worked. That said, the, the short answer to the first question is that although Europe is not as, um, as important as it was for the Caribbean in 1975, and even in uh, 2000, when Cotonou was signed, it is clearly still of high significance to the evolving interests of the Caribbean and to the livelihoods of its peoples. This leads us then to the second question. Uh, what have been and what are the major challenges to the relationship? Clearly, a lot has changed since 1975 for both the EU and the Caribbean. And, and I can only point in the time I have to what I would say are the more relevant of these. Um, there's, of course, the tangible change in the increase in number of member states on both sides. On the side of the EU, uh, membership has grown from 9 in 1975 to 28 today. For CARIFORUM, the original six Caribbean members of the ACP uh, has increased to 16, and the ACP itself has expanded to 79. More states on both sides, of course, bring more added complexities and opportunities also for both sides. And uh, for the Caribbean in particular, the increase in the number of African member states in the ACP has created much more competition for uh, voice and also for influence. For the EU, a key change is that the newer EU members from Eastern Europe and uh, Scandinavia have fewer historical and cultural links and familiarity with the Caribbean and so less interest in the Caribbean. But on the other hand, they also have gro gro growing influence on the decisions and the policy priorities of the EU. 
A key example of this uh, that most of you know is the recent high focus on aspects of uh, migration and security in the EU. And you'll see that these two issues will become two of the key issues that the entire EU itself will focus on as priorities. As part of the, the wider globalization process, uh, members of CARI Forum are now also part of several other international and regional organizations since 1975. And so they have platforms beyond the ACP to engage the EU. Uh, take my own country, Belize, um, that uh, in addition to being uh, a member from, of, of CARICOM and CARIFORUM, is also a member of the OAS, the, the CICA, this is the Central American Integration Group, the Association of Caribbean States, and of course CELAC. And uh, of these, CICA and CELAC, for example, also have uh, signed agreements with the EU. Uh, this creates... Uh, a more fluid and, and complicated global context in terms of uh, the international affiliations. There are also shifts, of course, in global power configurations that we all know, uh, and these present challenges and opportunities also for the EU and the Caribbean. And in this regard, uh, the increase in the number of uh, emerging uh, economies, the BRICS, and especially uh, China and India, uh, stand out. And China in particular, as, um, as uh, some of you may know, uh, has been increasing its influence in the Caribbean in trade and investment uh, and aid. Uh, we can get into examples perhaps in the discussion. In, in terms of uh, trade, in terms of uh, a challenge, um, there has been some erosion. Uh, in the wider context of what is called trade liberalization, uh, the trade regime, regimes between the Caribbean and the EU have experienced significant, significant changes, uh, the most recent of which is the rapid erosion of preferential treatment of Caribbean uh, exports to the EU, uh, especially in commodities. Um, indeed, the, the, the era of preferential treatment, uh, which some in the EU see as a sort of affirmative action, um, is, is nearly dead. Uh, this is has all but killed off the banana and the sugar industries in, in most Commonwealth uh, Caribbean states. Also, the EU has almost replaced its non-reciprocal uh, and quota-based special arrangements with ACP states to reciprocal and regionally-based what are called Economic Partnership Agreements, EPAs. And uh, the CARIFORUM was the first ACP region to sign an EPA uh, back in 2008 with the EU and is now being uh, gradually implemented. And in short, what the EPA is, is uh, an agreement between the EU and, in this case, CARIFORUM, to agree to duty-free and quota-free exports to the EU, with the EU side agreeing to gradually phase in this approach to its exports to the CARIFORUM region. I can say that the results are very mixed. Uh, the, the Caribbean side is not very impressed and, and, and has many concerns about how the EPAs are working. You know, the key related trade uh, development is that in addition to the EPAs, the EU itself has been aggressively pursuing free trade agreements with other states and entities. And since 2008 itself, uh, the EU has signed some nine free trade agreements 
uh, with non-ACP states, non-Cariforum uh, states, and negotiations are now taking place uh, with some 20 other states uh, and two global blocs, and these include, um, in terms of uh, countries, the US, Canada, Japan, in terms of entities, uh, Mercosur of uh, the South American area. The obvious implication of all this is a much more competitive trade environment for the Caribbean vis-a-vis -vis the EU in terms of market share. And uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention one of the challenges that um, has affected my own country quite a bit, that of the increasing trend uh, coming from the EU of blacklisting uh, other states. And the blacklisting has to do with uh, the EU uh, working out of what I would call multilateral uh, organizations such as the OECD and the UN to have its own lists and usually blacklists of developing countries mostly in areas such as uh, high seas fishing, tax havens and soon as you will you'll find out money laundering and uh, combating, uh, combating terrorism and the point here is that usually the states that get picked on first or the smaller states that have less capacity to respond. My one country, countries in the Caribbean, uh, if you see these lists, are uh, some of the most dominant. Um, moving to uh, development cooperation as far as, uh, as, as uh, changes and challenges, uh, the landscape in, in development has changed significantly since 1975. All Forum states in 75 were classifiable as LDCs, less developed countries. But now, except for Haiti, all are classified as middle-income countries based upon uh, a word I learned from my supervisor who is in the room. <laughs> Blunt and limited uh, indicator of GDP uh, per capita. And uh, there's a lot of conceptual discussions around uh, GDP per capita. But in the context of uh, Brussels and, and the ACP and development, it's, you see the real effects. And it is important because EU development uh, cooperation policy is moving in a dominant way to a policy of so-called differentiation and graduation, in which development aid is much more targeted to LDCs, less developed countries. Already the most recent period of EU funding shows a significant drop in aid to most individual uh, Cariforum states, which are considered as uh, middle-income countries. And uh, LDCs in Africa have been the beneficiaries of this policy. But a concern among Caribbean leaders, uh, and uh, most leaders, I should say, is that more emphasis on those most in need, especially in Africa, can lead to a marginalization of uh, countries such as those in the Caribbean, which are mixed. And, and, and this is without acknowledging unique development challenges, such as increasing wealth inequality and unique vulnerabilities uh, that Cariforum uh, states, as small island development states for the most part, face. Uh, and related to this is a push by the EU for there to be more self-financing uh, by developing countries um, using their own domestic resources. Um, so 
And, and perhaps one final thing I should say, and I mentioned this a, a while ago, that the EU is now uh, quickly moving towards having three main priority areas in terms of thematic areas. Peace and security, one, migration, two, and climate change, three. And of the first of, of these, the only one that has uh, any direct relevance to the Caribbean is climate change. Peace and security and, and migration, uh, while not unimportant, are more uh, issues that are of interest and directed to especially the continent of Africa. Now, uh, I, I had promised in my, in my blurb in terms of advertising this to talk about Brexit considerations a bit. And because of the sensitivities and the speculative nature of the current debate here in the UK, um, I want to be careful and uh, not offer an opinion as much as to share some consideration. And uh, this is especially the case since there's no official written position coming out of the Caribbean as yet, or even my country for that matter. But as I stated earlier, the fact that there is a Caribbean forum within the ACP group has much to do with the UK itself entering the European Economic Community in 1973. So changing its trade and some of its cooperation arrangements with the Caribbean. And uh, because the majority of current trade from the Caribbean comes to the EU through the UK, you can imagine that some Caribbean states are concerned about the implication of a Brexit and the resulting need perhaps to renegotiate complex trade agreements bilaterally. And I, and I, I would venture here that this is not only uh, unique to the Caribbean, but also perhaps to other developing countries. Furthermore, the UK uh, contributes, and this is a 2014 figure, about 10% of the EU aid budget. And this is a significant amount, second, I think, only to Germany. And much of uh, this ends up as part of the EDF funding package uh, that comes to the Caribbean. A Brexit could mean that the UK contribution would likely have to be reallocated on a bilateral basis. And again, the complexities of that are, uh, are going to be um, interesting to see if it does happen. Importantly, and perhaps less measurable in impact, is the fact that because of historical ties, the UK has been a dependable and an influential voice for the Caribbean within the bodies of the EU. Uh, and, and I could give examples here in my own country. Uh, we, we, we have an ongoing dispute with Guatemala, and there's a, uh, an OAS uh, joint uh, agreement for us to negotiate uh, in, in terms of going to the ICJ. And uh, the EU has been instrumental in getting, the UK has been instrumental in getting the EU to agree to fund this office through its voice in the EU. And, uh, and I can give several other examples, but the prospect of losing this support within the EU from the UK is clearly of concern to some in the region. This is especially significant at a time when Cotonou itself is soon to be renegotiated. The larger implication here, of course, is that the, if the UK is out of the EU, it is out of the ACP-EU Cotonou Agreement, and the Caribbean 
may just feel that more vulnerable as everything will need to be renegotiated. I will stop there on Brexit. Uh, there are, of course, um, some other changes, but I think that gives you a, a sense of some of the major ones. And these are all being brought to head in a way. Because the ACP, on the one hand, and the EU, on the other, are not preparing to negotiate what happens after Cotonou expires in 2020. And this is bringing uh, a lot of these issues in a more intense way, and in, in Caribbean-EU relations in particular are also being discussed. So will there be a new agreement? Uh, how may it change? How will the Caribbean fare in these negotiations? And although, of course, final positions of negotiations are still being uh, prepared, um, there are some indications coming out. And uh, I will move then to, to what, in, in a sense, is the, fourth, the third question on what are the emerging positions within the EU. In, in the EU, there certainly uh, appears to be a decreasing enthusiasm <coughs> among at least some of its member states for the Cotonou agreement to be continued. There appears to be, a, at least for me, a three main schools of thought within the EU and its member states. And it's important to distinguish sometimes between the EU and its institutions, the European Commission, <coughs> the bureaucrats in the EU as such, and the European member states. Uh, and European member states um, have a lot of influence over what the EU does but so do so the bureaucrats, and there's also the European Parliament, which also have some influence. So uh, these players will all determine what happens on the European side. But there appears to be uh, three main schools of thought within the EU. The first is to reform, but to maintain the relationship with the EU in more or less the same model, uh, integrating uh, political trade and development cooperation dimensions. In this scenario, uh, much of Caribbean-EU relations would continue to be managed uh, as is via the ACP, with, but with much more emphasis on the issue of differentiation and, and how ODA is, is actually distributed. A second school of thought, which is related to the first in a sense, is to push for a reformed ACP, but to urge expanded or revised membership to include other developing states from Asia and North Africa. At this point in time, the ACP is mostly sub-Saharan Africa. This would mean that the organization would focus more on LDCs and perhaps likely marginalize the so-called middle-income development states, like those in CARIFORUM. And a third school of thought in the EU, which is gaining a lot of traction, I must say, with some member states, is to argue to discard the ACP totally and to focus only on more geographic, regional approaches. For example, there are some in the EU who seem to be pushing to engage the Caribbean directly through another more regional grouping, such as uh, that of CELAC. Indeed, as we saw with the EPAs, the trade agreements, um, and also with overseas development aid, the EU has already begun to pivot to engage more regionally, especially in Africa. If the EU insists 
on such a geographical and regional approach, uh, this can potentially fragment the ACP and indirectly, indirectly then uh, affect uh, Caribbean relations. And of course, there are some uh, in, the, in the EU, and this is not something you, uh, uh, you have not heard before, but there are some who, uh, who have what is called donor fatigue and who see the ACP and, and, and CARIFORUM by extension as bloated, expensive, uh, dysfunctional groups that uh, are taking away money with blank checks from important internal policy issues. And I'm sure there are some in the UK who also feel like that. Um, whatever happens, the EU has already made it clear that it will not be business as usual post-2020. And even as there is widespread agreement within the ACP that the ACP-EU relationship should be maintained, the ACP itself clearly understands that it cannot be business as usual. As such, the ACP uh, has set out to begin to reform itself, uh, such that the EU relationship would not totally define its future and its identity. And this means that the ACP must diversify its partnerships beyond the EU uh, with uh, groups like China and the BRICS, for example, and become more self-financing and focus more on intra-ACP cooperation and South-South cooperation. Moving then, moving then to the, the final question, uh, and that uh, perhaps which is most important to us, uh, what has been the Caribbean reaction and what are the considerations that uh, face the Caribbean? Discussions have begun officially within CARIFORUM and as well as uh, CARICOM, but there are so far no stated positions as yet on the future of the ACP, the future of ACPU relations, and how the Caribbean, the sea, fits in all, it, in all this. However, the options uh, seem to be becoming clear. The ACP uh, has been uh, an important forum, as we, we just saw, for the small states of the Caribbean. And it gives uh, the, the, the Caribbean a, a bigger voice to engage the EU along Africa and the Pacific. I believe that the likely scenario is that the Caribbean will seek to remain in the reform ACP that keeps ACP-EU uh, relations as a core element but it also seek to diversify partnerships. However, uh, diversifying partnerships, say with China and India and South-South cooperation, and even doing that within the con context of the Caribbean with, with other groupings, uh, will take a long time to foster, even as they can help to ensure a less dependent relationship with the EU in the longer term. As noted, uh, the EU has been and, and remains the largest source of predictable share of development cooperation funds for uh, CARIFORUM member states. And we should expect that the Caribbean would advocate to keep this for as long as possible. I mean, why not? Without a legally binding successor agreement between the ACP and the EU, the Caribbean, small and mostly middle-income countries, I think may become even more a peripheral interest to the EU, which is moving, as we saw, to align its cooperation arrangements regionally. 
Cariforum will also need to, to lobby with others uh, against the steady movement towards complete differentiation of development aid to countries graduated to middle income country status uh, based upon this limited uh, approach that we refer to as per capita GNP. In particular, CARIFORM will want to ensure that any new ACP development cooperation framework takes account of the special priority issues of the region, which are different than they were in 1975, of course, and included here especially are the needs of the small island development states in the context of climate change. And there are also issues uh, related to small and medium-sized uh, enterprises, uh, citizen security, private sector development, with a focus on trade and services, youth development, also infrastructure, and uh, what is now being called ocean economies are becoming very important to the region. But importantly, uh, and I think this is a, one of the cards that the Caribbean region will need to be playing, is the SIDS argument, the argument that small island development states such as those in, in, in the Caribbean uh, face unique exogenous uh, shocks uh, from natural disasters, economic shocks, that uh, can be an argument used to continue some degree of, uh, of special treatment. Um, in terms of trade, uh, as I said, the days of preferential treatment uh, from the EU are nearly dead, and the trade dimension of the ACP-EU partnership has already been effectively regionalized through the regional EPAs. However, EU-ACP uh, partnership uh, agreements can still provide a useful forum for CARIFORUM to influence broader trade issues uh, such as standards and trade and services. And uh, standards... Um, are in particularly important here because as, as prefer preferential uh, treatment uh, withers away, we, we find that uh, small countries, especially like those in, in, in the Caribbean, are facing uh, a, a host of new challenges in terms of all these standards being set for its exports to uh, the European Union or the, or the developed countries. And there can be no preferential treatment for standards. So uh, the most that the CARIFORUM region can hope to do is to ensure that through its influencing uh, broader trade policies through the EU, that uh, some of its concerns are met. Some of the EU, considering more regional and geographical approaches to cooperation, it is in the interest of CARIFORUM to have a strategy of maintaining the ACP-EU mechanism while at the same time contributing to managing uh, multiple platforms for in, in, uh, engaging with the EU, including CELAC. Uh, indeed, CELAC, uh, as some of you might know, is still a, a young and a floundering sort of uh, political alliance in which the Caribbean itself has not found a strong voice. And, and as such, I believe that CARIFORUM should make the case that different platforms serve different interests and agendas, and it should resist any push from the EU to choose one at the exclusion of the other. 
I would also argue that uh, CARIFORUM should push to further reorient its political dialogue with the EU, including with the new EU member states, to focus on global issues of mutual interest where joint positions could be advanced. And this would have to be undertaken carefully so as not to duplicate the work of other international groups. Some concluding remarks before uh, opening uh, for, for some discussion uh, and leaving some more time for that. Um, however diminished and challenged uh, Caribbean-EU relations uh, have been since 1975, they remain important, and it is clear that, Caribbean, that the Caribbean needs to do more to keep the existing benefits and to minimize its losses. To do this effectively, CARIFORUM needs to move quickly to speak with one strategic regional, regional voice on the future of the ACP and its relations with the EU. This requires that CARIFORUM not only develop sound regional strategic positions, but that it also lobby within the ACP and the EU to ensure that the, it's the mandate and the program focus of any future agreement are aligned to its interests. Unfortunately, this is not happening fast enough. This is not uh, unrelated to the fact that the process of regional integration in the Caribbean itself has its own existing internal challenges and that events are outpacing its response. Perhaps not surprisingly, uh, several... And CARICOM, remember, is, is, the, is the forum for regional integration. CARIFORUM is the forum for relations with the EU. So CARICOM, in a sense, is the more important regional integration group. Uh, several CARICOM states have begun actually to openly express concerns about the effectiveness of the regional integration process within the Caribbean of bilateral trade agreements in the form of uh, free trade agreements and portal scope agreements uh, that is happening outside of CARICOM. Indeed, the fact that CARIFORUM itself exists as a forum for trade and cooperation and even political dialogue, which is, in a sense, supposed to be the, the, the area of uh, principal concern of CARICOM, uh, the fact that these CARIFORUM exists at all uh, illustrates a key weakness of CARICOM as the key regional body for regional integration. In other words... CARICOM has still not moved to widen its membership. And in this case, uh, I speak specifically of Cuba and the Dominican Republic uh, to include uh, these larger members. And this clearly limits its capacity to present a stronger, clearer, and a more assertive voice in relations with the EU. And so uh, CARICOM, CARIFORUM uh, have a, a lot of work to do to ensure that it has a more effective uh, response to these key challenges facing the region in terms of EU-Caribbean relations. Thank you.